Well, good morning, everyone. As we begin, I'm not used to having a mic. Um, Microphones and PA sound systems were pretty irrelevant in deaf churches. So, but we also, we had a little stand and we could move, but uh, I'm kind of stuck today, shackled, so to speak. But some of you know, have known Carol and I, some of you maybe not quite so well. But Carol, my wife, spent her summers in the 50s and 60s here in Clarksville at her grandparents' farm up the road. And within a month, six weeks after we were married in 1990, we actually came down to Clarksville and we met some fine folks. We met uh, the Darnton family and then we also met Paul and Nancy. And we're thankful for God's providence in using them in our lives as God transitioned us out of our, our life in California and moved us into missions training and Carol and I have never forgotten how the prayers and support, some of our very first mission support, came from Ramsey Creek, the body here. And it's a, it's a blessing and an encouragement to us to be back. And then moving forward in the 1990s, the later 90s, um, Ramsey Creek sent a team of short-term missionaries out to our training center in North Carolina for a week. Uh, we were in the midst of some... Uh, doing some teaching and training, so we didn't spend a lot of time with them, but they came and they worked uh, on the dormitories of a 150-year-old reform house orphanage, and uh, we're a blessing there. And now, in God's providence, 25 years later, God has brought us around full circle back to Ramsey Creek, and what has confirmed to us that this is the home church home where the Lord wants us is two things, the faithful preaching of God's word and also the love of the brethren. And it's been good to hear this topic be addressed because it's a topic that is often lost on the the American church. And it's lost in in a... Multiple ways. I'll be talking a little bit about how that is and how, as it was already mentioned, how God has brought different um, people to come and share the Word of God on this topic. In reading Rod's sermon titled Recovering Real Love and emphasizing the motive of love and the restoration of God's people in church discipline, which is so often such a negative and it's actually very, very positive. It's very healing. And it's, it's for God's glory and the health of his church. And today, um, as we look at the principles, is what was the early church? What were the foundational principles of that church? We see and hear the term orthodoxy, which means in simplicity, correct teaching or correct doctrine. And then there's also orthopraxy, which means practice. How do we live out the faith that we have in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to be a servant of Christ, redeemed before the foundations of the world, bought with a price, 
and now given marching orders, so to speak. The challenge is, as many of you, uh, I now, I'm in the gray-haired club, and uh, I did a quick calculation. I've probably sat under 3,000 sermons, many more Bible studies, gatherings, conference. I used to travel and do sign language interpreting for various conferences, so I've heard thousands of messages. And I have the orthodoxy down more or less pretty well. It's the orthopraxy, living out what I already know. There, that's where the rub, that's where the challenge is. I'm going to set my phone. Carol reminded me. She says we're not in Romania, we're not in India. The people want to go home before 3 o'clock. <laughs> so back to we want to see in this passage in the book of Acts, what is, what are the things that the Lord wants us to be doing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the reading, hearing, and application of your word. Father, use your word through your spirit to conform us into the image of your son for the building up of your church for your glory. Father, strengthen the messenger. May you be glorified. Thank you for hearing our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, please open your Bible or grab the Bible in the pew in front of you and open to Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 36 for context. Peter's sermon. He said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now this morning's text What did these 3,000 new Christians, what did they do? It's recorded here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. In the aftermath of Pentecost, there was a lot of uh, things going on, a lot of excitement, probably confusion, turmoil. But right there at the beginning, it is laid out, this is what the new Christians began to do. This is how they lived out their faith in Christ. Peter is a strong personality. He he laid things out. He set them straight. And Dr. Luke, who recorded this, the author of the book of Acts, he's a physician. and, And physicians like the details. You don't want to go to a doctor and have the doctor say, well, you know, you have sort of this problem and um, it's probably related to this or that, but we really don't know. Here's the medication. No. Doctors, good doctors, tend to be very specific. They lay out step by step. This is the issue. This is the cause. This is the treatment. This is the hope for a cure. And so we see a lot of specific details which helps us today to know what it is we are to be about as part of the body of Christ. And we see in the second uh, passage uh, beginning in verse 42 the four principles or orthopraxy that the new Christians were devoting themselves to. But before we jump into that before we talk about what the Christians were devoting themselves to. Uh, Jason already touched on some of the kids, some of the things that the children devote themselves to. Um, I think if we had a show of hands, uh, Mizzou football is something that uh, locals devote themselves to. Um, Um... Oh, goodness, the cards, the cardinals. Yeah, there's great devotion there. Um, There's many things that that we, even as Christians, we devote ourselves to. And we really need to be open to what God's word is speaking to us personally. What does he want us to devote ourselves to? And beginning, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This teaching wasn't a university lecture that puts people to sleep. Um, It was a kind of interactive teaching, admonishing, training, equipping. Uh, As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's, come on, let's go. It was very uh, hands-on. They want, this type of teaching was to impact every area of their life. The next area that they devoted themselves to was fellowship. 
God does not want us to live as islands. We are to live in community, calm, unity, you know, with unity. They we're to have relationship. We're to interact with one another. Um, this type of fellowship is a it's a given that we are family. Now, um, you know, you can't pick your relatives. Is that true? You can't pick your relatives. You know, it's in the same way we can't pick the people in our church. And whether you like everyone or not, they're your relative. They are a brother or sister in Christ. We are related. We are redeemed by the blood of his son, our Lord Jesus. So, unity, fellowship, is not something that we can decide. That's not something. I don't need to be part of fellowship. No. This is something that Christians should be devoted to. Joyfully. Lovingly. And and sometimes it's... You know, sometimes our relatives can be difficult, but the Lord gives grace for that. You know, when as I was preparing in this, the Lord brought to mind, you know, where else in Scripture do we see these principles laid out? And the Lord brought to mind this passage in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, what does that look like in real life on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night? You know, you see a brother... And or sisters say, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. No, 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 no. Let me repeat that. How are you? What is God doing in your life? What is the Lord dealing with you? How can I truly pray for you? Interacting. There's too much superficiality going on out there. We need to have the freedom to speak the truth in love. Because... It's obvious who's hurting, who has joy, who is struggling. And that fellowship is the context where we can live together to encourage one another, to help to minister to one another. And as it says here, encouraging one another. So fellowship should be a normal part of every Christian's life. It's not, it's not an option. The next part thing that the, uh, the early church, the Christians did, the breaking of bread. And it really that has two parts. Um, first, the Lord's Supper, the regular practice of observing, observing communion. And that is crucial. And even if we, as we see in the passage in Corinthians where it talks about preparation and examining and the other passage where it talks about if you bring your gift to the altar and remember somebody has something against you, leave it, go be reconciled. So even in communion, communion, see how that works? 
it is body focused. It's an, you know, it's an opportunity to be have communion with the Lord, but also with one another. And so the goal is it's a, it's another aspect of maintaining unity in the church. The second aspect of uh, breaking bread means eating a meal together. Now, it's great, it's wonderful that um, we're all going to have a Thanksgiving meal. But how many of you, and I'm going I'm to just ask this, how many are you having someone else over to your home for a meal this afternoon? This this aspect of hospitality and breaking of bread is a lost art here in America. Um, it's something that when Carol and I over, went overseas, we didn't understand it. And we would have, you know, at one, two, three in the morning, well, actually, it was a, it was a doorbell. We had to go open the gate. Uh, deaf Romanians, this is before text messaging, and they couldn't use phones, they would save up enough money, buy a train ticket, travel six, eight hours across the country, walk four miles, I mean, sometimes in winter, uh, and, and, you know, snow, cold, and they'd come knocking. Well, you get up and you open the door. <laughs> and Carol just signed to me, some of them cl- would climb the fence. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, uh, they'd climb the gate and they would come up and be wrapping on window or on the shutters. With hospitality, because we've been so brainwashed by our media, if I asked the wives here, the ladies here, what in your mind is a picture of hospitality? How many of you would think a Martha Stewart perfect home? I'm, I'm seeing a lot of smiles. I'm seeing nods. Yes, that's the expectation. And, and you expect, you know, Pastor John and Kathleen to come over. We're going to get out the fine china that we use, you know, every 10 years. That's not what hospitality, that's not what breaking of bread means. And it means sharing with whatever, you know, whatever's in the refrigerator and whatever you have available. And and God was so very gracious. We had a toddler and Carol was either pregnant or we had a newborn baby. And, you know, Carol would uh, use American Sign Language so others present wouldn't quite understand what we were saying and she'd say well I'm just going to add more water to the pot and more salt and stretch the soup and slice the bread thinner (laughs) nobody left hungry but when it comes down to it people are not there to see how clean your house is they're not there you know when you're finished with the meal they're not going to hold up a little scorecard and, and, and rate your meal, you know, or, or, you know, it's not like chef competition or anything like that. They're there because they're hungry for fellowship. and They're hungry for the word of God. And they might just be physically hungry. And uh, I didn't know this when uh, 
Uh, I prepared my notes, but uh, in God's providence, um, due to a death of a mutual friend, we actually had a family of nine people show up between, I don't know, 2.45 and 3 this morning. Um, the Matthias family from Virginia have uh, arrived. And uh, being open, being willing, you know, it's... Uh, and it's okay, it really is okay if you set up the guest room and then the following morning you realize, Mike, I forgot to put pillows in the guest room. And I responded to my dear wife. I said, I'm sure they will make do. I'm sure getting in at 3 a.m., I'm sure they'll sleep fine. And uh, most of them are still back at the farm asleep. But uh, did they get their pillows? Yes. Oh, she found, okay, they found the pillows. So even even if your your hospitality means you leave the pillows in the closet, it's okay When was the last time you invited somebody into your home for a time of breaking bread, talking about life, sharing hopes, dreams, struggles? I want to encourage you today as we see the model of our brethren to do that. Don't put it off because you'll get back in the rut of our American culture. We are very insulated. We're very guarded. And in God's providence, having, having lived and worked and studied in India and in Eastern Europe, that's not how the church is. That's how the church is here. And actually, when Carol and I first came back to the U.S., that was a very real struggle and led to even almost a season of disappointment and almost to the point of depression because we were used to a church that followed these principles. You had new Christians. Everyone's excited. I preached on this passage. This is what new Christians do. Well, they take you up on it. We basically, seven days a week, we had people at our table. And that's okay because in the rub of life, as we interact with one another, God, through his word and through his spirit, we minister to one another. We encourage one another. Life is tough. We get beat up. And one of the ways that God helps us along in the journey and the path that he has for us is through fellowship. The next area that they devoted them to is the area of Prayers, the prayers. This church, uh, from what I've seen, does better than many churches. You know, I get the little reminders on my phone, you know, it's time, we're going to have a prayer meeting. And that's good. As I studied this, I was convicted. I don't pray as I used to. And I give... Well, having about 18 hours of 19 hours of driving time this last week, had a lot of time to to think, to pray, to repent, to cry. Um, 
the Lord really convicted me of this. And too often, I'd be like the disciples in the garden. You know, their head on a log, you know, snoring. And I asked the Lord this last week, I said, you know, if there's something that I need to be praying about, wake me. It's not wake me, wake up, go to the fridge, get a glass of milk and a piece of fruit and eat and go back. No, get up. And this is um, a brother from Zimbabwe who taught. He shared how when the Lord, the Lord wakes him up in the middle of the night, he goes in, washes his face, goes, washes his face, goes in the other room, turns on the light, prays with his Bible. Lord, what, what is it? And uh, it was encouraging and convicting. And so we have got to, in our prayer life, lift each other up because each of us is struggling each of us is facing battles that we need the body of christ to be supporting one another so and really avoid just the 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 the, the rote prayer you know you know lord bless this meal amen but really Pray with and for um, each other daily. Now, when we, saw, we see these four things that they were devoted to, God does some amazing things. We see the results in the later half. And God is still working today. And he's still using these principles. And it gives me hope that God can continue to use Ramsey Creek to bring about transformation in our town, in Pike County, in our state, and even in our nation. And the first thing that we see is awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The people were in awe. Um, it's kind of awkward. I, I, I put this down. I said, when was the last time people were in awe at what God is doing here in our community through Ramsey Creek? And as I, as I chewed on this for several days, it comes to mind, well, they were in awe because we just celebrated our bicentennial. We just celebrated 200 years of God's faithfulness. Well, that's something to be in awe of. Well, okay, that only happens every 200 years. Can we make it a pattern where weekly people at the gas station in Clarksville who kind of sit there all day, um, they're saying, hey, did you hear about what God is doing out in Ramsey Creek? Did you hear the impact they're having the people in Clarksville, they're feeding people. They're ministering to the, to the hurting. They're ministering to the widows and the orphans. And so let's, let's seek God for ways how we can impact our community so that truly awe is, is a hallmark of, of our church. Next is... All and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Christians share sharing. It's a radical departure from the culture of the time 
at that time in our culture today. And But I'm a firm believer of the scripture in Proverbs where it says, faithful the wounds of a friend. And I don't say things because I want to be mean or nasty or pick on one particular person. But our church, all churches, as we see in scripture, need to be taking care of our church family. It's not the government's responsibility to take care of the disabled. It's not the government's responsibility to take care of widows and orphans. Church, it's ours. When I've been overseas in India, there were no Hindu medical clinics. The people would take their sick children to the Hindu deities and often they would die. And then they'd take them down to the river and burn their bodies. The Hindus would take their children to the Christian clinics and their children were given medical care and they often lived. In the city of Heidelberg, Germany, was walking down a, uh, a back street, a cobblestone street, and I look up and there was a building and in German it says it was a hospital, Krankenhaus, and it was like 1462. And then it had the name of the church carved in stone. And sadly, instead of Christians taking care of one another, we have given the responsibility over to an entity that was never God's intention. Now, the next portion, portion is probably one of the most um, globally misunderstood passages in the entire Bible because it's often used by communists. Uh, it says here, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the needs to, to all as any had need. As we see the passage in Acts, this is not the birth of communism, okay? Communism, and I've been there. I've had weapons pointed at me. I've had been stopped and had our relief supplies for the deaf and disabled gone through. Sharing at the end of a barrel, gun barrel under compulsion, that's not sharing, that is not the church. That is not love. So just to make sure that, you know, and I've shared this passage before, and people would say, oh, you're one of those socialist Christians. It's like, actually, I'm not. This is what God's word says. But the motive of our giving is not to be a requirement, not to, as it was said in Sunday school, you know, everybody is expected to give 50% or more. No, it's out of a heart of gratitude that we give back to God and trust God to guide the church to take care of the needs of the poor. And that sharing, as I already mentioned, is to be based on love. 
Listen to this passage. Let the word of God sink in. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John three seventeen and 18. Um, this is one of the things that when I was coming back from Alabama, where a lot of the discussion was on ministering to the poor in Africa and elsewhere. I kept replaying over and over my mind the mayor of Clarksville telling me that 67% of the population of Clarksville is on welfare. Now, yes, there's a lot of reasons. But people, this is a great opportunity for the church, for us to serve, to get those families off of welfare, to have the church be taking care of the widows and the orphans, to getting people back to work, to getting people healed and healthy. And again, just to emphasize, our our motivation is love. We love them. Next, they lived out uh, day by day. They were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. going to read that again. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. For the last 2,000 years, and even today, in many foreign countries, that is the norm of Christians. In some countries like Syria or Iran or North Korea, the gathering of day-to-day, it's done discreetly, but they are gathering. And it's one of the things that I saw that was part of God's providence, my training and preparation for the mission field in India. This was the norm. Day by day, people interacted. Now, We all don't live within a mile of Ramsey Creek, so it's much more difficult. But I think there's ways that we can be intentional, that we can be in each other's homes. We can be serving and helping one another, especially we have lots of mothers with little children. You know, the older ladies, you know, teaching, training the younger ladies, you know, it's a biblical concept. And... And, you know, older men helping younger men. Like in the past, Paul Aiken and Pastor John has has helped me with, with business planning and things of that nature. And so there was a in, 
interdependence within the body of Christ that honestly you generally don't see here in the United States. And this is an opportunity for us if we're listening to repent. Say, Lord, tie us together. Make us interdependent. Make us the body of Christ. And, you know, that type of fellowship I've seen all over usually revolves around food. And uh, how good it would be that every family in Clarksville, in Pike County, could say with enthusiasm as we share the truths of Psalm 34.8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not, oh, taste and see that the government's EBT card allows me to buy junk food. Well, now I'm starting to meddle. Um, God has given us great opportunities and responsibilities. In closing, the last thing that happened with the church there, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, as we see, as we obey God and his strength and grace, as the church functions and follows the, the things that they were devoted to, and we follow this model, and we are obedient, what does God do? First, the community is in awe. They're in shock because they've not seen anything like it. Could we live this out so that our community could be transformed by the gospel so that day by day many would be saved? We have much to think about. May God search our hearts, grant repentance to his people, and bring glory to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It's a light to our path, lamp for our feet. Lord, Father, guide us in the way that we should go. Strengthen us to obey your word. And where we have failed, I pray that you would encourage us to come alongside one another, to lift one another up in prayer. And to share the burdens of physical needs, Father. We trust as your church is obedient that you will draw, as as Jesus Christ is lifted up, you will draw men, women, and children to yourself for your glory, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.